Hello and welcome to another Flow Center podcast. Today we're joined with Cara Bradley. Very excited to speak with Cara. She's um, she uh, had a background of a professional roller skater and roller blader and figure skater, and has spent the last um, two to three decades teaching, training mind body practices from a number of different disciplines. So excited to uh, get the breadth of knowledge that um, is available today in this chat. Um, just to check in, hey, Cara, how are you doing? Um, great, Cameron, thanks for having me on. My pleasure. So one of the themes we like to focus on is uh, this idea of a, a mind-body balance or a, you know, a mind and body and you know, we'll probably talk, inevitably talk more about flow later, but, you know, the kind of the latest neuroscientific theories around flow is, is a lot around synchronization and synchronization theory and conflict uh, monitoring hypothesis and the, the place where when our mind and body syncs up, we become a more powerful human being. We become a, a able to utilize our greatest strengths and, and um, you know, it sounds like you've been in one way or another hitting that from different angles um, for the past three decades. Um, but before we sort of jump into some of that content, it'd be great just to hear a, a brief background about yourself so listeners can understand who you are and get to know you a little bit better. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I was going to say I could go right there if you want, because that <laughs> is about exactly where I live is uh, synchronizing mind and body through movement, breath, rhythm, outdoors, whatever it takes to, to kind of bring you into that, that coherent state. So we'll get there. <laughs> Thanks for, for starting out that way. Uh, just a little bit about myself. I think I, I experienced my first um, optimal experiences uh, as a young figure skater. Back then, I was a competitive skater. I wasn't very good, so you wouldn't have heard about of who I was, but I was a regional skater, but I was really into it. And I would skate before school sometimes early in the morning. Back then, as figure skaters, we needed to do something called figures, which is where figure skating came from. And we were given a patch of ice for ourselves and a what was called a scribe. A scribe was a really big compass and you would get on this pristine patch of ice and you would trace a figure eight as a template. And for an hour, you would then either trace that template or you would step a foot ahead or behind and trace another template of figure eight. You were either going backwards or forwards on an outer edge or an inner edge. Sometimes you'd turn in between and you were judged on it. And it was actually a competition to see who could do the best figures. Well, most of my friends absolutely hated figures. In fact, they don't even have figures in figure skating competition anymore. I loved it. I, I loved the feeling of being on the ice early morning. This, I remember the sounds of the crackling of the ice as my blade hit the ice and, and just that whole sense of quiet in my body and in my mind. Of course, I didn't have these words to put to that experience back then, 
but looking at it now, it certainly did, it, it molded who I am. And, and because after that, I became a runner, a track runner, and I ran mid-distance running. And again, it was sort of this time in your body and your breath in the environment that was really very soothing to me, yet also extremely exciting. So I've always been been playing and practicing and studying in these physical yet very mental disciplines of skating then it was running and um, eventually ended up diving deep into yoga and meditation and so that that's sort of my crooked path to where i am now fantastic and now you're you're coaching and training um you know huge organizations, Virgin Pulp and Coca-Cola and the World Bank and so forth, and um, helping these organizations, uh, both the, the executive teams and the workers within it, find this kind of a, greatest, a greater coherence or greater synchronicity between mind and body to optimize performance and, and well-being by the sounds of it. Mm, yeah, I, I'm... In extraordinarily passionate about helping people drop into their own natural state of being. I, I wrote a whole book on that. Just, just how do we access what's already here, that natural state of aliveness, the natural state of enthusiasm, the nat natural state of curiosity and even peace and this sense of joy. And it's always waiting for us, I believe, just underneath the conditions and patterns of our mind and body. So when we can get out of our own way, whether that be on a run or by the beach or on a mountain, oftentimes we can find ourselves beyond our conditioned patterns, then we experience those optimal states of, uh, of flow. You can call it so many different things. And so I've really, my whole life, I've, I've been teaching or coaching or training people in some capacity to, to experience themselves beyond what I call the busy mind, but, but more importantly, to trust that they can access these states in, in a work environment or with their family or by themselves that that we can actually train ourselves to, to find these states, that they are just a moment or two away from a busyness or overwhelm. And so, you know, I've had so much fun over the course of my career, which seems like it's gone on forever at this point, but I've had so much fun playing with different mediums and different strategies, different techniques and ancient practices and using modern neuroscience. And it's just always evolving, like you said before, Cameron. So I think this work is never ending for all of us. Absolutely. It's a, uh, it's a constant um, excitement every day to, <laughs> to realign, recalibrate and resynchronize and um, part of being human, I think, takes us out of that of that synchronicity. And you know, there will be people listening, going, "I've heard about mind body stuff for for forever." You know, and some people who live in their head, you know, more in in our heads and our minds and our thinking and and our logic, and um, will be sort of 
questioning the the power or the value of you know prioritizing the body and vice versa more people that live in their body and more kinesthetic and more action related uh, often have success there and and uh, you know may question you know yes I know mind body balance makes sense but I'm just so used to kind of doing what I do um, mm. and just to kind of really simplify in a nutshell um, so we can all get on the same page how do you sort of classify mind body and do you see any other intelligence centers in the body mm, that's such a great question that's a a loaded question for, for sure <laughs> yeah and and most of us are we're just living like a brain on a stick right we walk through our days we're stuck in our head with the to-do list and the past experience and what do I need to do tomorrow? And I can't believe she said that. And why didn't so-and-so call me back? And then of course we have media and social media and news feeds. And it's just this constant noise that is um, moving through, through our head all the time. And so what happens is that we forget that there is this sensory being below the neck, so to speak. There is, there is this, this, these fields, this, the, the seeing and the smelling and the hearing and the, and the feeling and the, um, you know, all of our senses that are constantly listening and recording and, and understanding, making sense of what's happening in our outer environment and our inner environment. So, when we're stuck in our busy mind, we are not as in tune with what the rest of our body and senses are telling us and informing us. There was a, an amazing book I read uh, a couple of years ago called The User Illusion. And I think it's Norlander. I am sorry, I, I, the name escapes me. But in The User Illusion, and it's a hefty book, but the message that I one of the messages that I got from it is, is very simple and clear. And that is that our conscious minds are really only processing anywhere from some say 16 bits of information to 50 bits of information. And so you don't really know, need to know what a bit of information is, just, just think about these numbers. So, so 16 to 50 bits of information we can consciously understand or be aware of in any moment. Well, the rest of our body, our eyes, our eyes alone are processing 10 million bits of information per second. And then there's the skin and the sense of taste and our hearing. And, and so there is so much that's happening moment to moment that we're not able to be aware of. But I think that when we are able to start to trust that our body is incredibly intelligent and that we are sourcing this information and processing what's happening both in our body and in, around us in interpersonally, when we could start to trust that this information is being processed yet we might not be conscious of it, well, then we stop perhaps living so much in our thinking mind, in just trying to figure life out. And that's when we're able to drop below the neck, so to speak, and to, to live in a way where we are tapping into our full intelligence. 
and I'm simplifying this for sure, but you know, the whole idea of synchronizing mind and body is really about trusting that our body speaks to us through the language of sensation and, and instinct and intuition. And our mind is speaking to us through thought. And then of course we have the whole emotional body. And so there's this huge painting that's being created in every moment of our lives. And when we can start to trust that the painting will inform us of what to do and what not to do, what to say and what not to say, well, now we're talking about this synchronization of intelligences and it's, it's really the, the way we experience flow, this optimal experience where we feel like we are being informed in every moment through our body mind. Oh. I hope that kind of makes some <laughs> sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. The, you know, the mind being the, the, uh, the mental processor and the body being the, um, the body's intelligence center that has loads of receptors that picks up uh, a heck of a lot more information than our, our conscious um, lens, so to speak. And with that, we can make better decisions and um, we can react and process things faster and, and be more holistically congruent in our, in our actions moving forwards. And, you know, there's so many things in what you said I'd love to pick up on. And I guess the first one is, um, you know, that level of, you mentioned the word trust and, um, and, you know, what is trust and how do we trust ourselves? And, and, uh, you know, we're so, you know, all human beings are the same in this way. And we're blessed with this amazing brain. We're blessed with this fantastic, fantastic, reflexive thinker, if you like, that, you know, separates us from other animals. And, one of the most incredible tools that we've been gifted as uh, as being born as a human being and but for most of us you know that drives our 99.999 percent of our waking experiences and you know and forget that it's just a, a tool that's designed to kind of to think and be self-reflective and to to analyze and to to assess situations but isn't although you know society affirms it and scientists uh you know we're taught through certain modes of education you know that to foster it as much as possible over and above everything else we forget that actually you know our most fulfilling moments or our best performances come from this um total output if you like from mind and body as one um as anyone in who's sort of been in the zone or in flow or you know can reflect back and think about when they were totally engaged doing the best thing that they they their best performance that they ever have it was a you know mind body experience and getting over that hurdle to sort of say to the brain you know i know you're incredible i know you're powerful i know you're amazing but i'm gonna also trust you know my 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 body and you know we can go on to later about intuition and instincts and so forth but other components of ourselves. And um, what's your sort of, you know, practically what tips or what have you learned over the years that sort of helps people to, um, to make that jump of letting go of that, that conscious rhetoric um, that's normally used to sort of having the grip of our experience? 
Mm, that's, that's a really sweet question because I think we all instinctively know how to do that. So, so when I, when I work with people, whether they, they're athletes or executives, you know, one of the first things I always talk about is um, getting to know flow. And I just use flow in a broad sense. So as an optimal experience, you know, where we feel and perform our best. And there, as you know, there can be a macro flow moment, which a lot of people will think of flow as being these, these mega moments of, you know, skydiving or jumping off a cliff or flying down a mountain on, on a, you know, skis. But there, but, but there are so many sweet micro flow moments throughout our day where these moments that enrapture us, where we're fully immersed in the moment at hand, where we feel like we could just float in this moment all day effortlessly. And so one of the things I think is really important for us all to recognize is firstly, that as children, we're so much more prone to just be in flow or be in this body-mind synchronization. When we're swinging on a swing or whether we're um, playing with our dog. You know, there are these moments that we think about when we think about our childhood where we could remember certain smells or certain scenes like it was yesterday. And it's because those moments are just so vividly burned into our senses. And so what I, what I often um, encourage people to do is to think about moments right here, right now in your daily life as it is in this last month, let's say, when you felt most awake and alive, when you felt most alive, fully alive. And so oftentimes I'll start with um, asking people, what does it feel like to be fully alive? What does it feel like in your mind, in your body, in your heart? in your throat, what does that feel like? And it's amazing, Cameron, because the questions, no matter if I ask these, and I've asked these questions in senior living homes, I've had the privilege of working mm. with um, seniors, you know, who, who come into the room in their, on their, you know, with their walkers and, and, and talking to them about these optimal experiences and, and young children. And for most of us, it's universal, right? We feel, happy, positive, confident, alive. We feel so um, energized and calm and, at and peaceful and joyful and connected. I mean, I could go on and on because, you know, but, but we have some of the similar words. And then I'll ask the second question, which is, well, what makes you feel that way? What makes you feel awake and fully alive? And, Inevitably, it's always amazing because 99% of the answers are activities or with people or doing things that don't cost any money, that are absolutely free and at our disposal. So it would be standing on a beach or being in the woods or playing with my grandchild or reading by myself, cooking, listening to music, making love. There are so many of these beautiful moments when we feel our most awake and alive. And so just having and helping people to uncover that a little bit, all of a sudden now that something called an optimal experience doesn't seem 
so far fetched. It doesn't seem out of reach. It's like, oh, wow, I'm feeling that, you know, maybe even daily, I'm having one of those moments of full aliveness. And I think that once we can become familiar with how we are moving in and out of these these op more optimal states throughout the day, once we get to know flow, then we can start to learn actually how to return to flow and how to train to live in flow more often on demand. Mm. Yeah, no, it's a really, uh, really important point that, you know, when you initially started saying, you know, when do you feel most alive? I. You know, I started to think, well, you know, it's it's early today for my day, um, and uh, what what's happened in my day today? And you know, immediately my mind went to kind of playing with my uh, two year old son, um, and uh, and I felt completely alive and in the moment, and you know, and it was a magnificent, you know, sort of two minutes that that occurred before the practicalities of right, we got to shower and get up, and everything else kicked in. Um, but ordinarily, those experiences would just kind of move on, be forgotten, and um, and and not associated with an optimal experience. And uh, you know, often optimal experience is so often associated with world championship performances or um, life-changing events or mm. sort of experiences that we may only have ten of them in our lifetime or one. But actually, it's those smaller, you know, maybe milder optimal experiences than, than sort of life-changing events, but still those daily experiences that are really interesting to me, certainly, and uh, can really radically um, change the quality of someone's life when we, when we aim to encourage more of those in our life rather than those kind of those peak life-changing uh, situations yeah yeah that's you know it's just beautifully said that that two minutes rolling around on the on the ground with a two-year-old can really light you up internally from a neurochemical standpoint you know to to just the pure joy can light you up and really really be the the the, the thread throughout our lives and i and this is where my my deep deep passion lies is i i truly believe that we we all deserve optimal experiences you it's our birthright to feel ecstatic joy to feel deep peace and connection to feel fully immersed in creativity or in a, a sport or in some type of dance we all deserve that but what happens as with anything with media and uh, social media, especially, and, and with um, sports and, and people that are doing things at very high levels is it starts to separate us. And so the, the person living in the suburbs and tending to three children and working all day may think, well, Sure, it's great for them to have these optimal experiences. They're in Maui, you know, I'm out in the suburbs and I need to commute in the morning. Yet, you know, what, what I, what I want to share is no, we get to experience optimal 
states. We all do, it's our birthright. It's just that in many ways we've been conditioned to not recognize them. Just like you said, it, you know, just even two minutes when we can start to recognize, ah, yes, this is one of those sweet moments. Like for me, oftentimes it's sitting, getting up early. I get up super early and I have my, my whatever book I'm reading or books I'm, I'm plowing through and that first cup of coffee and I'm by myself in my room, in my chair with my books. And it is just pure heaven for a half an hour until I need to get myself going. So when we can start to recognize that these moments are available to us, even in packaged in ways that we would never even call optimal, well, now we can start to not only recognize that these moments are available, but we can start to plan for more optimal experiences throughout our day. For instance, you know, I know I, I get up early so that I can have that half hour by myself, you know, or you may, you may carve out the time at the end of the day so that you can sit down and read a book to your two-year-old, knowing the joy and the peace, the connection it's going to bring you. And this is when we start to make our optimal state more of our default state and our, more of our default way of living. That's, that's really why I feel like I do the work that I do is to just help share that message. Mm, superb. And I think, yeah, one thing that's helpful is, is, you know, touching on a little bit like we did earlier about this, the mind, the body, and, and you know, more recently, uh, increasingly popular is this idea of gut as well. You know, we have three intelligence centers in our body, uh, our mind, uh, our sort of heart, and our and our gut, and um, you know, and then there's the fourth one of 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 intuition and what is intuition, and and you know, there's many sort of scientists out there who associate flow with being intuitive action or the the um, the action component of intuition, and when we look at that, those small moments where we're just reading effortlessly or playing with kids or hitting a tennis ball so smooth or riding a bike without holding onto the handlebars and just effortlessly feeling that balance and all movement is synced and feels fluid. And there's a, a, a total concentration and immersion happening. You know, there's, there isn't this kind of, I think about the experience and then I do. I think about moving my body to the left and then I do it. There's this, you know, merging of action and awareness where we just, it happens as we sort of witness it. And that kind of the, the self that drives that action, if you like, um, is often thought of as, as intuition and, um, and it, you know, it can be, you know, some of this is semantics, but there's there's always a confusion when I'm speaking to people around, well, you know, I, I want to listen to my heart. You know, my heart is telling me everything. And other people say, oh, no, I've got to go with my gut. You know, and then there'll be some people that say, well, the gut is actually our inherited instinct, so to speak, the kind of the intelligence passed down from from uh, our, former, um, our former fathers and mothers and 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 the earth but there's this collective intelligence inside us you know different scientists might 
uh, disagree as to exactly where that's stored, but there's a, you know, whether you, it's in the right um, prefrontal cortex or heart-based or, but there's this intuitive collective intelligence, uh, personal wisdom, if you like, of our own experience that seems to flow when we allow it to. And, you know, the inner critic or the, the self-doubt or the self-reflective thinking can come in and we can pay that self-reflective thinking more or less attention depending on what state we're in. But when we're allowing that um, intuitive, for want of a better word, intuitive action to happen, you know, that seems to be a real good guidance or a North Pole, if you like, or a, a flag or signpost to sort of, to, to help people and myself put that as a priority over and above other messages that I might be hearing. And does that sort of resonate with yourself? And <laughs> Yeah, there's so much in there that, that we can play with for sure. Um, first, I think most simply, I'll, uh, I'll use the, the metaphor of the snow globe. I have this fantastic snow globe that I often travel with when I'm speaking. And, and throughout my, my talks or presentations, I'll hold the snow globe. And, and I'll explain it at first why, why I'm holding the snow globe. And then after a while, I don't even need to explain it. I'll just shake it up and I'll hold my hand still as people watch the snow start to settle. And so, you know, back to the busy mind, when we are stuck in our head and we are thinking, thinking, thinking all the time as the kind of the front line information, what should I do next? then we often feel clouded. We do feel disconnected. We become that brain on a stick and we forget that there's this sensory intelligence that's constantly streaming and informing us what to do, what not to do, where to put our foot you know, on, on a court or how to place the ball or whatever it is that we're doing in the moment. So when we're given the opportunity to allow the, the busy mind or the snow to settle, there's clarity. And with clarity now, we can actually tune into the rest of the information that's flowing through us. Remember I said before that our senses, our other senses uh, will process up to 11 million bits of information per second where our cognitive mind, and, and these numbers are always changing. So, but it, you know, you can tell it's a big difference. Between There's a difference, we, yeah. Right, to yeah. what we can consciously think. But so, but, but here's the, um, here's what, what I, what I, what's wonderful that I've learned through uh, my study of meditation, uh, specifically in the Tibetan Buddhist um, discipline. And, and that is that um, many, many meditators or, or, or meditation teachers, real masters, will consider thinking as our sixth sense. So we think, we smell, we see, we hear, we feel. And then you could even go a level deeper, right? Our interoceptive awareness, which really just means we're starting to tune into the deep, deep sent, uh, messages that are coming through our body, for instance, you know, you walk into a room and you don't know anybody and you can feel, start feeling your heart 
pounding through your chest, or you start to feel your breath get shallow. Like these are indications that you're 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 on the defense, so to speak. You're you're moving into um, a more anxious or stressed mode. So these are all of the knobs and levers that are that are constantly being changed and lifted and lowered and heightened and and down-regulated and up-regulated based on what's happening in any moment. But if we're just stuck in our head and we're in that very cloudy snow globe, well, we can't sense into that. We can't recognize that very subtle moment when your throat tightens. You're thinking, oh, oh, I'm getting a little nervous here. What do I need to do? So when we are able to inhabit and fully embody ourselves. So we're not saying don't think because thinking, as I said before, is often considered a sense, a very important sense. It's incredibly informative as to, you know, what, what's happening in any moment, but, but we don't want to, we don't want to discount the rest of the senses of our body. Now, just getting back to something else that you said about intuition and, and instinct, I had the pleasure, really honor, of interviewing Dr. Stephen Porges uh, this year. And Stephen Porges is a um, researcher who was, I, I, I think it's safe to say, founded the polyvagal theory. And I won't get too far down that road, not, not because uh, I don't want to, but I, I'm not as versed as, as a researcher to really um, explain it well. What I will say though, is what, what Dr. Porges has described is something even below our um, ability to make sense of what's happening in a moment is this, what he calls neuroception. And neuroception is really what you were talking about, our ancient ability, our ancient capacity to know if we're safe or not safe. And most of that, that knowing is happening subconsciously. So I'll, um, I'll just you know, give you an example if you, if you think about dogs. Often do times dogs, I mean, they will know instinctively if another dog is safe or dangerous and, and they'll react. And now what, what Dr. Porges is telling us is that we do the same thing that we can read each other like we read a book. We can, upon meeting someone new in, I don't even know what the amount of time is, but it's a very fast amount of time. We will unconsciously or subconsciously sense what's happening in that other person based upon their breath rate, their heart rate, the tone of their voice, their body language, we can sense whether to move in or to move back. And so I think that when we're talking about intuition, from my experience and what I've studied, is that when we can trust that this whole body-mind is informing us through sometimes conscious, sometimes subconscious information, sensory information, little little changes in, in temperature of the skin or heart rate, we become a more fluid being. 
we can now, when we trust this, we can now walk into the room and trust that we're going to know what to do, where to sit, who to speak to, how to speak to somebody, when to not speak, how to act. And this is, and this now we can put this into action in our creativity and how we work with others and how we serve others. So I hope that wasn't too long-winded. It's a, it's a load of information. But uh, again, coming back to our birthright, our birthright is our capacity to, to be able to move and think and speak from this whole body-mind experience as opposed to just thought. Mm. You know, and I think, you know, some of the challenges we've talked about, you know, certainly when we reach that, that mind-body holistic balance, interesting things start to happen, right? You know, the intuition becomes louder or the, um, the experiences become richer and so forth. And, and, you know, two things you've highlighted, you know, one, it's this, it's our, it's our birthright to experience this frequently. Um, but yet most of us are either too busy or, um, you know, some of us don't feel like we're, um, you know, it, it's where we're allowed to, you know, there's a sort of a guilt, guilt um, scenario of being able to let ourselves um, shine, so to speak. You know, the, um, <clears throat> the famous quote from Marianne Williamson of um, when we shine, we subconsciously give others the permission to do the same. And, you know, so often in social circles, you know, we're, we're not shining in, in for one justification or another. And, and um, that ability to go, no, I, I deserve it and I want it and I'm going to prioritize it is a, um, you know, is a, is a, is a big step, you know, for people. And then, and then to see it as secondly, to see it as this sort of mind body balance and, um, I know we're kind of running out of time and I'm very keen to sort of end with some practical tips and, and prioritizing this idea of, okay, you know, maybe for most of my day, I'm walking, talking with my mind, you know, or perhaps more my body. Um, and how can I kind of sync these things up so I can be more um, holistically balanced in my you know either during my action or just prior to in a kind of a state of preparation so then I can then go into whatever I'm doing washing the dishes talking to 10,000 people um, mm -hmm. playing in a stadium or playing with my kids whatever um, how can I move forwards with that as a default and um, you know so I guess two questions I've got for you is you know what's one really good short-term preparationary tip you know that you can kind of apply and 30 seconds later you know even if it's um just focusing on breath and putting mind and body on the same place and then also what's sort of one if we think about the over the span of the next 10 20 years you know how can we kind of think about the long term and sustainably put things in motion that mind and body are collectively moving further together rather than further apart. Mm. Okay, well, I'll try to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Firstly, I think uh, asking ourselves the question, 
throughout the day. Where am I right now? Or how am I right now? Right now, how can I be optimal? And that's going to change, whether it's morning or evening, whether you're at work or you're on the soccer field or you're with your kids. How am I right now? And how can I be optimal? Optimal meaning our best state for this moment, our best state for what's happening and where I am and what I'm about to do or how I'm about to be right now. And when we, we, we don't even have to necessarily answer the question, I believe that asking the question allows us to kind of tune in. It's like doing this very quick inventory how am I right now? Okay, I'm a little shaky. Okay, breath. So we have the capacity to shift our state and, and our breathing and just our breathing pattern is one of the quickest and easiest ways to do that. So our breath gives us access to our nervous system and the state of our nervous system. So just by balancing breath can often help us to shift into a more a coherent state of clarity and calm at the same time. So throughout the day, before a meeting, after a meeting, um, you can just ask, you know, how am I or what, what am I right now? And what do I need to be optimal? For sometimes you're going to need to be in silence for a minute or two. For some people, you may need to go do some jumping jacks to, to get your energy up. So it's going to shift and that's why we call it flow because moment to moment, it's going to be different. So waking up to this moment, to this moment, to this moment and recognizing that you do have the tools. We all have the tools to shift our state even subtly into a more optimal place to create, connect and, and to compete even. And so- oh. That's, you know, just simply checking in and tuning in with yourself all day long. So it's a practice of mindfulness, really. Uh, it, that's what it is, paying attention to your state moment to moment. Hmm. So that's the first, hopefully the first answer to your yeah. first question. <laughs> and um, long-term, wow. Long-term, I think as we continue to learn about our intelligent systems and that it's not just in the head, that we do have this extraordinary sensory brain in our gut, that the vagus nerve is, is, is this highway of information that makes us just brighter, more intelligent beings. As we become more aware and as research continues to um, inform us of all of our brilliant capacities. I hope that emotional intelligence, physical intelligence, social intelligence, and even intelligence of our nervous system becomes more important in our everyday conversations and our schooling and our leadership training. So it's not just about how fast or how much we can produce but actually how turned on and how alive can we be for each other in this world? Mm. That's a, a beautiful ending. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better. 
Um, but yeah, it's about having that different focus and overall uh, true north, as I talk, as I call it. Um, yeah, every every day we're making micro decisions and macro decisions that are leading towards an aim. And um, as you said, if it can be built towards feeling alive and vitality and flow, and you know, we end up making very different decisions in our in our life um, in the long term. Um, yeah, absolutely. So thank you very much for. Um, for your words, I always give um, uh, apprehensively give everyone uh, an opportunity to ask me a question because I know I've been firing <laughs> questions. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um, so you can pass, but if you do have a question, no. feel free to. Um... Yeah. So my question to you would be, um, what makes you what person? place and activity and you can give us several makes you come alive what are those places people or things that you do daily weekly monthly that make you come alive or feel most alive yeah wow um how long have we got <laughs> <laughs> that's great <laughs> um oh, so many things from my kids to i i surf a lot um i I hit the mat and do yoga. Um, you know, most days I um, I just after I've come out of a meditation and I kind of come back into the world around me. Um, you know, things feel lighter and brighter, and and I feel more attuned. Um, and you know, sometimes cooking. You know, I feel really. I love to cook and. Um, I can really uh, come alive when I'm cooking and, um, and, you know, but it's been interesting because over the years, it's the activities have very much changed, you know? So when I was younger, it was more tennis and, and games and, um, and then my kind of sporting activities have changed. Um, I'm, although not the most competent or talented musician, I, I love to listen to music and um, and come alive, you know, with with certain melodies, etc. And um, <clears throat> I guess you know what what I'm becoming more and more attuned to is more. It's more about where I'm at rather than what I'm doing. And there's certainly activities that help me get there a lot faster. And um, you know, my challenges nowadays is to find it in. You know whether I'm I can't do activities because of injuries or I don't have time or you know I have to prioritize the financial um, uh, equation in my life and you know which takes me to do more work than play or so forth or um, is finding it in areas that I ordinarily wouldn't um, which I actually find really interesting and challenging and and fun in its own right. Um, and even more so sometimes than activities I'm used to coming alive in. Um, and it, that's been a, a real fun journey in sort of more recent years um, to look at it from that perspective. But a sort of sporting background, so most sports certainly help me um, um, tap into to that kind of holistic, intuitive action more, more readily, for sure. Mm, that's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, and it does change. It's always changing, which is what 
keeps us, you know, awake and alert to even the smallest things that that may just bring us joy and challenge and, and excitement and enthusiasm. So to be on the hunt, always on the hunt for those <laughs> optimal experiences. <laughs> yeah, life is too short not to, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Cara, thank you very much for your time. We've um we've gone over our normal time, but it's been a, a really interesting you. conversation. And um, thank you so much for joining us today. And if anyone you know wants to know more about Cara, simply type in her name, Cara Bradley, into Google, and a host of stuff will come up. And um, and yeah, thank you very much for for joining us. And thank you, to, uh, thank you see. for what you do. Great stuff. Hope to see you on the pod at another time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Okay. Bye for now. Until the next pod. <laughs>